companies that are of the highest rated or they're more likely to align recruiter performance with candidate experience. And that's across company sizes, especially in North America. What I mean by that is recruiters are kind of on the hook based on how the candidates are rating their experience with them. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers and Googleization show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome everyone to this special episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, winner of the most forward-thinking impact award from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. And our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. Just a reminder, uh, if you're interested in getting SHRM credits for listening to this episode or any other episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, you can simply go to geekskeezersgoogleization.com. That's our new website and click on podcast. And right underneath that, uh, there's a short form that you need to fill out just to verify that you listened and uh, we'll send you the activity code. So please do that. Uh, if you're not a member of Googleization Nation, you can also join right there, or you can go directly to googleizationnation.com. Uh, it's free, and you'll get updates about future events. Uh, you'll get summaries of past events, and we got a lot on the agenda. So you can please go up there and uh, become one of our tribe. And then also, if you're listening uh, to this afterwards on a podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, or your favorite, wherever you listen to to podcasts, uh, please uh, leave a, a review and uh, rate the show. Every little bit helps. It's probably safe to say that over the past five or six years, both in person and a lot of virtual, uh, I've probably spoken at about 100 to 50, maybe 200 events. I, I would estimate that the participants were probably varied in from a, a handful to several thousand, but collectively probably somewhere between 25,000 to 50,000 talent acquisition and HR professionals. And most of it was related to my book, my, my last book, uh, Re Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. So many of the people listening today have probably heard me speak at one of those events and they would likely know that I, or if you read the book, that I wasn't necessarily talking about sourcing candidates or HR tech or compensation or many other of the recruiting tools or techniques that, that a, a lot of uh, speakers and, and a lot of books and a lot of consultants talk about. But I was focused on recruitment marketing. Uh, which evolved into the candidate experience. And I've got to give credit to our guest today, Kevin Grossman and his team at the Talent Board for much of the, the really compelling research I used and shared. It's usually what got people to pay attention to me. And also want to thank him and Talent Board for really kind of starting to measure something that uh, traditionally had not been measured was candidate resentment which just reinforced how uh, frustrated and confused and disappointed and distracted what, you know, what I call the FCDD or all effed up, you know, part of the candidate or the employee experience. 
So here we are after all these years, billions of dollars spent on HR tech and process improvement. How do candidates today feel their, that, about companies? What do they feel about the process? What do they think about hiring and recruitment? So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll be bringing Kevin on in just a minute. Yeah, and, and I know we're going to be focusing a lot on candidate experience with Kevin today, but Ira, we would be remiss if we didn't also pick his brilliant talent acquisition mind on the massive layoffs right now that are going on in large tech companies like Google, Amazon, Meta, and Microsoft, just to name a few. And of course, those have been hitting the mainstream headlines here just the past several weeks. And most of it's being blamed on aggressive hiring over the last few years. Uh, despite this, those companies still also have some postings for thousands of new open positions sometimes. Now, today we aren't gonna address the reasons why they aren't reskilling their existing workforce for those new positions, but it does kind of paint the backdrop for a pivotal moment. It feels like that we're reaching in the whole talent acquisition space that we're gonna talk about with Kevin. And that is, why are these talent acquisition mishaps still happening? And ultimately, who's responsible for fixing it? And that's not a rhetorical question, I'm genuinely curious as to how this is still happening with all of the analytics, the tools, the resources that are at our fingertips. Now think about it this way, RevOps and sales leaders are held accountable for accurate revenue forecasts and meeting quotas. When those goals are not met, it becomes a top priority for immediate improvement for the health and sustainability of the business. But when we have poor candidate experiences, we're over hiring, we don't map the appropriate roles accurately that are needed in the organization, or we don't have a reskilling plan in place, what usually happens? Well, those processes usually just stay the same and the employees or the candidates are the ones who suffer the consequences. But make no mistake, according to Josh Burson's latest research from his HR predictions for 2023, talent intelligence and forecasting are now essential to the HR function moving forward. And that's why I'm stoked to hear from Kevin today on Talent Board's 2022 insights from their candidate experience benchmarking report so we can get some answers and get some clear direction moving forward for the needed changes in the talent acquisition function organizations. So without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to Kevin Grossman, president of Talent Board. I didn't, I didn't know there was going to be a live crowd. Thanks, guys. We're, we're going we're gonna to get you warmed up for, for all those conferences coming up for your trip down yeah, to San Diego. Definitely. Thanks shortly, for having right? me. Good to see you both. Great to have you back. And uh, we also want to welcome you and let everybody know uh, in just a few weeks, uh, you'll be launching. You're one of our newest GGG yeah, thought leaders uh, for that. our series Unleashed, uh, Candidate Experience Confidential. So uh, stay tuned. You'll be hearing a lot about that. Uh, I think mid uh, mid February, the the first episode or the trailer should come out, and uh, so stay tuned. So really appreciate you sure. being part of that, Kevin, and the and the talent board. So be before we get into some of the nitty gritty about the report, it, it still blows my mind. Uh, having spoken at so many of those groups, and you know, I continue to mention you know the talent board and the research and talk about candidate experience. And what was the name of that company? What was the name of that group? How, how do we get that report? Um, so we're, we're really happy to continue to help spread in the word and let people know more about uh, what it is but, and what you do. Uh, but let's start there. 
Uh, give, give a quick history of the talent board, its purpose, um, and then we'll dig into, you know, what, what top companies are doing to do it right and where there's room for improvement. Yeah, thank you both again for, for having me. So Talent Board has been, got, was founded, gosh, over 11 years now um, by three luminaries in the space, uh, Jerry Crispin, Ed Newman, and Elaine Orler. And, and at the time, I was one of the early volunteers. It was very volunteer-driven at first. And the mission, since the beginning, is still the same today. And the idea is to elevate and promote a quality candidate experience around the world. And do it's all started by doing some survey research, uh, asking employers' candidates about their experience, their perception of fairness across the candidate journey, and then give that data to the companies so they could see what their strengths are and of course make improvements on things that needed improvement across the recruiting process. And then in aggregate, write up what we saw in the insights and share that data with the industry um, in the form of research reports, which all of our 2022 data has, is now all available to download from the talentboard.org. And we're starting a new program year now for 2023, but we started doing that early on. And again, very volunteer, very labor of love driven at first, and then started to mature as a research organization. And for nearly the past eight years, um, I came on to help run and have run it ever since with a small team. I always like to say we're a small team that does a lot of big work um, as, as it relates to that mission. That mission's never wavered. And that is what we've been doing. And so that research is out now. And we have, one of the things that I am always asked is what's new when it comes to candidate experience every year. We're always asked that at the talent board. And the, 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 the I started saying this last year too, I kind of tongue in cheek, you know, feel like a grumpy old man because I say nothing. Nothing's new the same things every year that make a difference in sentiment and whether or not candidates are willing to do things again with the employer primarily revolve around consistent and timely communication and feedback always it's always that way every year no matter what the world looks like now there are a lot of differences that we can talk about on, on the show today of what we do find in the research and what was different, especially the past three years. I mean, all of us were still reeling from the fallout of the, the pandemic, the social unrest of 2020, the up and down of the market um, and where we're at today, what I call a place we've never been before um, from an economic perspective, from a labor perspective, hiring perspective. But the things, the core tenets of what we find that really do truly make a difference with the majority of candidates who are never going to get hired for the job they're interested in, because that's the reality of the numbers in recruiting and hiring. We're, we're in the business of no, mostly. Um, those make the biggest difference, communication and feedback loops, but definitely have, have been some interesting variances that we've seen now over the past three years. Kevin, maybe we can walk everybody through the journey. I mean, as you, you look at different milestones yeah. in the process through that, and then you measure each one. Uh, and and as you just said, no big surprise that the biggest discrepancy between what employers perceive how well they're doing and where employees perceive how they're doing is that they, you know, for those who aren't selected. 
um, because, you know, the majority of people that apply, you know, don't get selected. So there's a, there, you know, when I use my FCD acronym, you know, frustrating, confusing, disappointing, distraction, uh, certainly um, the, the hiring process is largely disappointing for many people regard because still, of the outcome. Still to, and, and yes, that is correct because of the outcome and because unfortunately of the, the inconsistencies in the journey too. Um, but but it doesn't need to be that severe, no, and I think that that's what you measure. And but it's also broken down at all the other parts of the journey. So um, why can walk us through walk our listeners through the journey of what you measure, and then some of the differences sure. between employee and employer, and then we can get into the nitty gritty of how do you how do you measure those differences and how how multiply how do you improve them? So the the way that our research is, has been structured and 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 it's been a very for many many years now a very reliable and valid survey tool that we use that we do minor tweaks to every year but what we're measuring is we're asking the candidates about their experience from before they apply meaning what do they do when they research the company and the job they were interested in and then how they would rate that stage and then if they did apply which most in our data of course research and apply um what had what did they do a few questions around that experience and then how would they rate it but then for those that actually made it to be screened or interviewed that's a much smaller population and so but we're then asking them those those who did because it's a logic-based survey and it's only it only it takes them to based on how far they've made it in the process as so how the survey um moves for them and so if they got screened and interviewed, how did they feel about that experience? If they were made an offer, how would they feel about that experience? If they accepted the offer and we're going to start, because our data is all about everything from pre-application to onboarding pre-day one. What did they think about that experience? If they withdrew themselves from the process, which happens um, with every company, there's uh, and and some volume. It's always a smaller population in our data, though overall. How would they rate that? And then, lastly, of course, the the good majority of people who don't get hired and and were knew that they were rejected at the time they participated in our research and data. How did they feel about that? And as you can imagine, that is the most negative rating that we capture. Period. Because if you ask somebody how they how they would rate being rejected, of course, as you could imagine, it's pretty negative. And it is the most negative data point that we that we capture. For example, in North America, on a five-point Likert scale, which is a lot of our measurements are on four and five-point scales that, that are also easily converted in at promoter scores too. But on the five-point scale, um, those who were rejected, the, it's usually 2.5 out of five, the highest that that average rating will be which is the lowest out of all of ours. In fact, it's rare, even the highest rated companies in our research rarely break three out of five with the exception of maybe the top 25 to top 10 companies in North America or in any region that we capture the data in. So it is always the lowest rating overall. Now, differences you mentioned about what we, what we call perception gaps. So what is interesting about th this last year that we, for the first time, Usually every year when we ask employers to self-assess how they would rate their own candidate experience across the journey and including three key indicators that we also ask both populations for, 
their, the willingness to apply again, the willingness to refer others? And do they want to have a positive or, or negative relationship with the employer going forward? Are they willing to engage the employer again as a job candidate or not? And historically, employers always tend to inflate their ratings. They always tend to feel like it's a better experience. They're delivering a better experience. And it's higher than much higher than the candidates. And this is global too. Um, but this last year in 2022, with the last, the latest uh, data set that we have, three out of the four regions, employers rated themselves lower than the candidates for the first time. And for us, what that tells us, obviously the volatility and the difficulty in the hiring market for the past two years, for that matter. And what we still can continue to see happening with employees leaving, you know, what is it, 2.5 to 3 million people still haven't returned to the workforce yet. Um, there's still a struggle to fill positions, even and we can, I know we're going to dig into some other stuff, but so that was the first time that we saw that. So there's been like this little reset of, uh, of expectation setting for the, even the employers, at least in our data, that they, um, so for the first time they rated themselves lower overall. Usually what we see across the journey is that there are more discrepancies between candidate and employer on what happens when they're researching a job, the application experience, and then if they're screened and interviewed. And the past two years, we've also seen greater discrepancy um, with candidates, with us, uh, employers struggling during the screening and interview process from a, a perception of fairness perspective and positive sentiment has been lower than what we've seen. Um, on the interview stage. But then when you get to those who got the offer and that we're on, that we're going to be onboarded, that we're going to start, that's when it usually the data still flips, meaning that the candidates always rate that higher. It, there's a halo effect too, because they're getting the job. But, but that's what well, our data shows almost every year. And employers have actually, the past few years, have rated themselves lower at those stages, especially with the struggles they've had usually more in high volume hiring than in professional hiring, but with um, pre-boarding and onboarding, losing people in that window that have already technically accepted a position and then don't show up or don't, or don't start or don't stay, um, which is another whole another factor that we companies have been experiencing the past, you know, one to two years. So that, let me stop there. That's just giving you some, some of the things that we did find in the data uh, last year that was, especially with the employers rating themselves lower. So Kevin, let's go all the way back to the very first one, yeah. pre-application. I'm really curious here. Can you shed some light? So when folks are researching companies and deciding whether or not they're even going to consider applying, what are they looking for? What did you find in your report that they're looking for the most to you know, give them a yes, I'm going to apply or no, I'm not going to bother with so this? There's the trends that we've seen, not only this, well, this last year, there was one big difference that I'll talk about, um, but there was also the, historically when candidates are researching a job, obviously, and we kind of partition it in two different buckets of content, meaning they're consuming marketing content from the employer and then job content. Job content is, is, is pretty much this easy because that is the information around salary and benefits. It's important for everybody. We all want to know what the job pays, which is a whole nother conversation about pay transparency that continues to come for employers ready or not, but they want to know about that. But they also on the, on the marketing side, I mean, they want to know what the culture is like. They want to know why employee employees are there, why they stay there, why they wanted to work there in the first place. They want to know, and these are some of the top ones. And then I'll, 
talk about the thing that changed the most. Um, they want to know about uh, career path opportunities, diversity and inclusion initiatives. Um, those are some of the things that, that they tell us through the research that they're consuming. The thing that that was that kind of popped to the top of the list, though, which kind of makes sense with this existential crisis that everybody's been going through the past three years of what do I want to really do? Do I really want to work for this company? Do I really want to apply at this company based on what I know or, or don't know even values? So the, the values of an organization, again, a lot of this is is what companies are transmitting through their branding and marketing activities, right? It's still a marketing activity whether or not those values play out when I'm an actual employee, that's something that we don't measure. And that's another story that we can talk about. Hopefully it does line up or align, but values really shot to the top um, at the list. And it became um, an increased 109% in importance from, from 2021. It was a pretty big jump. Um, and usually it's, it's, you know, in the top five to 10 things that are important to them values, but it really jumped up high. So it just, it, to, to us, it, you know, we, if we could ask hundreds of questions of the candidates, we would, but then we would never get a survey answered, unfortunately. So there's a limit to how granular we can get, but there's a lot we can infer though. And that we know that there are a lot of relationships in the data that we found, but that was one that was, it was, it, a big change that we saw. That was what the most important thing is like, what, what does this company mean values wise uh, overall? And that's become super important. I think for all of us as job candidates, as employees, as leaders, um, I hope that's the case, but that's definitely what our data told us. And were there any companies that came to mind, Kevin, who, who are doing that aspect really well? Um, in terms of really showcasing their values, maybe collecting stories from employees of why it's a great place to work. Any stories uh, around that? So the top usually, and I can, you know, I can just throw, to be honest, I can throw a dart and talk about some of the, the highest rated companies from last year's research in any region are doing most of the things that we highlight most of the time. It doesn't mean even the highest rated companies in our data, for example, last year in North America, Hogue, Memo Hogue Memorial Hospital Presbyterian in Southern California in Orange County. For the past couple of years, they've been the number one ranked organization of, of all the companies that participate in North America, um, obviously a healthcare organization. Healthcare is one of the biggest segments in our data every year. Um, They've come a long way. They've had a, 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 a really amazing story of, um, five years ago now, I think, approximately. When they first participated, they had dismal ratings. They knew they had a lot of work to do. And they really, you know, they rolled up their sleeves and took what they found in, in the benchmark data that when they participated. And they there's a lot of, you know, incremental changes that can be made easily. And they did. And that included also how they were marketing the organization, how they were marketing the positions. Um, through all the engagement through the gap, the candidate journey, but they have, have some of the highest ratings. Um, but any of those companies, D2L, Appeal Sciences, New York Presbyterian, Dr. Reddy's Laboratories, Virtusa, Conagra Brands, Galloway and Company, Dispatch Health, Atmos Energy. I'm just reading, you know, I could just go down the list and you can find all these names, by the way, because they're the only names that we share from our research. Those have above average ratings on our website. But especially the top rated ones every year, they're doing most of that right. And I would argue the way that they're positioning 
that information. Now, we've had a lot of conversations just really quick about this, that, you know, market, there's a lot of power in marketing. We know this, right? That over time, things can seep into the mindset that this company is really doing this. And I don't want to take anything away from any of the organizations that participate, because hopefully that does play out as an employee. Um, but these companies do, and some, and the ones that have, that continue to perform every year and participate in our research, that's the hardest thing for 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 you for both of you and anybody that's listening and watching right now. For companies, every year in our research, it's one thing to identify what they need to improve on and make those improvements. It's sustaining that quality experience over time. That is a tough one for companies. And it's a very small universe of organizations in our data and research that are actually doing that again and again. But I, again, throw a dart at the top rated companies and they've got solid um, they're focused. They are the ones that are focused on the values and career development opportunities and DNI initiatives um, that all generations are interested in, but especially you know Gen Z, which is a much bigger part of of the workforce now too, along with millennials. Um, that's really it's extremely important, and they and you know are the employees right across job types and candidates alike, but especially employees. They've shown the world employers, what, what they're willing and not willing to do. Right. And again, you know, and that includes like, I'm, if I have the, the choice of working remotely or not, because it worked for me, it worked for you as the employer, but you want me to come back now. Not everybody can work remotely, but for those who can, people have chosen not to do that anymore. I'm not going to stay. I'm going to go somewhere else. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of that, but those are some of the companies that you can find on our site that are definitely doing most of the things that we recommend most of the time. What are some of the things, Kevin, that those companies are doing differently? So you, you talked about one is doing things and, and, and again, that sort of falls into that, oh, if we fix this, then that's fixed and we can work on something else. But as you just said, you have to sustain it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, okay, I figured out how to juggle the balls, but you've got to keep juggling uh, to keep the balls in the air or whatever you're, you're juggling there. Right. Um, but but what are some of the specific things? I mean, there, you know, we just had a response. We put this out this morning on LinkedIn and somebody said, oh, I just got out. Of, and we know this person. Uh, she was on a job search. And it was like the, you know, basically she said there was a, there was a bait and switch um, between what was presented, uh, you know, what was marketed and what was presented once they got to the interview, long delays, not hearing from people. So there's a whole host of things, but were there, are there any that stand out that, that are, are you know, that are pretty obvious and that people have fixed, ha have worked on and, and continue to have the greatest impact? There, there's such a, uh, there's a, a great combination of a lot of those things that, that companies do. And, and for example, on our, we have, um, always have a set of case studies every year that you can also find and review based on some of the candy winners and some of the things they're doing, but big picture, what some of the, the, the highest rated companies are doing, for example, and I'll just read some, these are things that are directly from the research and the report too, that they Companies that are of the highest rated, or they're more likely to align recruiter performance with candidate experience. And that's across company sizes, especially in North America, but also 
in, in the other regions that we track too, EMEA, APAC, and Latin America. And what I mean by that is recruiters are kind of on the hook um, f- based on how the candidates are rating their experience with them. Um, these are companies that are obviously measuring that to be able to understand what that is. And recruiters are either they're rewarded as well, especially if they if if candidate experience is high, because they know that a positive candidate experience it, it impacts the willingness for candidates to try again, as well as refer others, which is always key for any B2B or B2C company. And in fact, the highest rated companies are doing that 26 more often they're more likely than all the companies combined in our data. So it's that's one example of something that they're doing differently. They're also, I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, and ha- there's been a lot of progress with recruiting technologies today, conversational AI, AI-related AI smart technologies in our systems, ATSs, CRMs, but things that are helping to make better sourcing selection, making help humans make better decisions for that matter. Communication with candidates where there was none before that can be scaled, um, which I'm, I'm actually a big fan of. And, and because, uh, uh, and our data shows that candidates, even though yes, we all wanna talk to a human, if I'm being getting my questions answered and I'm being communicated with and engaged, even if I know that it's the technology doing that, um, the sentiment is higher and the fair, the perception of fairness is higher. But the the, the highest rated companies in our research and data, um, again, I'll say, stay focused mostly on North America. They are 68% more often using the, these AI smart technologies today. This is based on our data last year that are helping them. And, and most of the companies in our research and data are mid-sized to global enterprise. There are smaller companies that have less than 2,500 employees, but they're all mostly it's on some growth path. So technology is a big differentiator. So I'll stop there to see if you if either of you have any questions, but that's just a couple of examples. There's a lot more where that came from too. Yeah, I, I've got a quick follow-up to that one. I, I think I'm guessing that Ira wants to dig in on the technology piece, and I do too, but, but I'm going to go a different place first sure. as a piggyback to what you just shared there, Kevin. So you, earlier you mentioned that still the number one complaint from candidates is the consistency or, or consistently and timely feedback. Yes. Um, and that that's still primarily the, the problem. I'm going to throw out the big A word here, accountability. I didn't know where you were going with that, Jason. I'm like the big A. Right. A little bit of a teaser there. Okay. We're gonna, we're still keeping it clean here, but accountability. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, do we have accountability issues within the talent acquisition function of HR typically where that's not being included in terms of performance ratings, in terms of how folks are doing their job? Or why is it that you'd think something as simple as consistent and timely feedback is still not being followed through by so many organizations. So this is, let me, I'm gonna go back and forth on this one a little bit because in defense of every employer everywhere, the reality, especially anybody of any hiring volume at all, um, even modest hiring volume that has fluctuated obviously the past three years, depending on the industry that you're in, they, at the point of application, where many, if not most of the candidates are just not qualified enough, again, on average, I know it varies depending on what they're hiring for, but on average, most just aren't qualified enough to move on, to even be screened or interviewed for that matter. This is, that's a tough one because 
everybody, even if I applied and I felt like I had, and even if I had some of the stuff, but I just wasn't qualified enough, I do want some feedback. I'm not going to get it. It's not going to happen at the point of application, unless it's a much smaller hiring, smaller hiring volume and the recruiters and the hiring people that are involved can have, have the time to do that. But that's not the reality for most complex global organizations, right? So, and I'm, and I'm, I, I empathize with the, with job candidates that apply and um, they need to still have definitive closure and communication, but they're not going to get feedback. The people that should be getting feedback more regularly are those that are getting screened and interviewed because there's more of an investment from them and the employer uh, in the process. They are some, they are qualified enough to get screened and interviewed. Um, and those are the people I would argue, especially the finalists that don't get hired where there should be feedback given in our data. I mean, it's, it's quite a dramatic, um, uh, differentiation that the those who are getting feedback in the final stages are m much more likely to refer others dramatically upwards of even up 50% more likely to refer others than those that do not and it is a big positive differentiator but that's where i would kind of that's where i i feel I, I empathize with candidates that apply and don't get feedback and they're not but those that make it beyond that I would argue, and we're talking about a little bit of job fit qualification status feedback. Companies, the highest rated companies in our research who are doing that, these are really brief exchanges. They're not contentious, lengthy. I thought I, I was qualified enough. It doesn't happen that way. I'm not saying it could happen that way, but I don't even play an employment lawyer on TV. So I can't comment on, you know, what legal counsel may or may not want to see happen. But I do know that the companies that are practicing this in the highest rated, the, some of the same names that I've read, um, New York Presbyterian is, has been doing this for years, for example. Um, every can't finalists get feedback and it goes such a long way with candidates. And not only that, those that are encouraged to apply for another job too, um, maybe down the line, technology can help you do this too, to match and recommend to candidates that may didn't pass screening or the interview stage. But those things go a long way. But the, the, the investment needs to, I would argue, needs to truly be made with those that you are screening, interviewing, and that aren't just going to be selected at the end of the day. The feedback aspect. Everybody should be communicated with and be given definitive closure. Acknowledge, communicate, closure. Always. Jason, when you talked about the A word, I didn't know if it was about artificial intelligence with chatbots. So when you're talking about chat GPT, I, I wondered if uh, when for the for the companies that were using chatbots to do some of the initial screening, what happens when the chatbots meet chat GPT? Since, since chat GPT is already able to pass the medical exam, they're already able to get into work. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's, it's going to be the battle of AI, I think, coming up. Well, and I... Yeah, I, I, we can. I've been holding my opinions on that one. I mean, a lot of people in our space, and, and it's it's great. I mean, a lot of people are talking about it, and there's definitely use cases to use the technology. And I've been playing with it and experimenting with it, but I do I do have concerns. Um, those concerns. There is another chatbot that I did find that actually helps identify if it's if other content has been generated by AI. 
which is interesting because it's something that's being developed to help um, those in the education field. I'm on my local school board, right. so there's the there's the the worry of you know AI generated reports, yeah, plagiarism, and plagiarism, and, and, and yeah. things that are that that and you know I worry about the critical thinking aspect, not just for our students and my kids and in schools, but I for any of us that are developing content, I think. So I know I know we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right now. Yeah. I think there's no. I, I didn't want to open. Well, I know it was a rabbit <laughs> hole, and we, but we will be opening up. Jason and I will be starting a kind of a series we're going to do at uh, beginning uh, mid to late February. Uh, that we're we're going to do that, and hope maybe we'll have you back on and talk about you know the aspects there. Um, sure. But going back to what you were talking about was yeah. with feedback is yeah. giving feedback. So there's the there's the idea of giving feedback. Is there a sense from the results that you have, how quickly that feedback needs to be given? Because I know some companies say, well, we do notify everybody at the end of the process. And they may do that part well, but if the process takes 90 days, 120 days, 180 days, then there's this, there's this silence between the time somebody applies, maybe had an interview and then nothing. So is there, I assume, based on the research, there's a combination of one is, yes, people, the candidates want feedback, and two is how frequently or how quickly that's given. So you you are totally right. I mean, the, the it, timeliness is always a factor. So the 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 part of the thing we haven't even brought up yet either is what the 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 conundrum the rub whatever you want to call it that's that's part of the recruiting equation and hiring equation are hiring managers because there in many organizations recruiters may you know nurture engage the candidates all the way up until the door of day one but a lot of times hiring managers are a big part of that because they're the ones ultimately they're making the interview decisions and that recruiters are, you know, depending on that feedback from them to then give it to the candidate or if the hiring manager is doing, which is not necessarily always that common, um, depends on the job. So it is very timely. So I, let, I'll give you some, a quick example. Companies in our data from last year, all, all the organizations across industry, again, North America, I'm talking about primarily, although I have data on all the regions, those candidates who are still waiting to hear about next steps after one to two months of applying, two plus months, that number was still 34% of the candidates. That's a third of the candidates said they were still waiting to hear anything after one to two plus months. Candy winners, those companies with the highest above average ratings overall, that was only 26%. So it's still a quarter of them but it's dramatically lower than all the other organizations and all organizations that's actually up from 2021 um, from what we saw. And that that's, that's a long time and it's too long. The problem with answering your question though, is that it, and this is, I'll frame it this way in the recommendation that we make to companies for any given job set of candidates that just aren't qualified at the point of application, let them know within three to five days. That's the recommendation. And the highest rated companies in our research were mostly adhering to that, or at least within one to two weeks. 
so that I guess that does kind of answer your question from the point of application of not being qualified. All right. But from the final interview, so fast forward to those that you are interested in and you maybe end up making offers to um, the, the differentiator here is that are were they um, Oh, let me first jump. Are they scheduled for an interview? before they're made offers after one month, within one month of applying. So I applied and within that, within four weeks, was I scheduled for an interview? All the organizations last year in North America, 33%, third of the candidates were scheduled within one month. Should be, I would argue it should be much higher than that, right? But we know, unfortunately, this is what happens. It can get quite lengthy, but the candy winners, that was almost 50%. Almost half of the candidates were scheduled within a month across job types. So that's a differentiator to, 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 and a goal to get to that we would argue. Again, it's going to vary depending on the job type. You know, you're, when you're, if you're hiring for data scientists versus um, retail store um, clerks, for example. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of differences based on job type, but still it's a differentiator. And then what ha after my last interview, another differentiator is that one week elapses before, um, before I get my offer. And um, both all organizations and the candy winners, it's it's upwards of 70 to 80 percent of the candidates said that less than a week elapsed. That's another important one. And we're glad to see the numbers that high because of how competitive the market's been. So does that answer your question, Ira, on some of the timing that we're seeing and recommend? Well, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, that's important for people, for a lot of the listeners to understand that what's a reasonable time frame. Yeah. And so, you know, again, ideally it should be zero. <laughs> it should almost happen automatically. It as should, but it doesn't. You know, and it, no. Well, and that may even be impractical uh, for, for many, many reasons, but there's there's a at least a a grace period that people get. But from what you said is, you know, certainly beyond the week or two weeks for people that are automatically disqualified, um, that's too long. And right. for people who, who might be qualified, you know, thir beyond 30 days is, is, is starting to push the limit. So the, yeah, it is, but, and, and so there's, again, there's things that are just that, that make it more complex than, you know, cause we, we like to, I mean, we talk about recruiting and hiring in a linear fashion. You research, you apply, you go through this, whatever happens, but it's more, it's much more messy than that. It always has been, always, it, it is, even with technology today. Now for high volume hiring, for a lot of high churn positions, automation has done a lot more in regards to not only getting people, sourcing them, getting them to, to apply quickly, even doing screening and assessments and scheduling them for interviews all automatically. Um, and sometimes even making offers to them. I mean, companies like Paradox and many others that are um, that we've been partners with for a long time, um, their technologies really come a long way and to automate a lot of it all the way up until you know getting them started. And so it has and that and and the times crunch. It's right. So there's a difference between hiring hourly workers in a high attrition environment versus the professional. Um, hires, which will take more time. And there's more, there's issues again about, you know, how the, are the hiring managers, hiring managers following our processes that we, you know, that they agreed to and SLAs that we set up, are they adhering to structured interview processes to reduce bias and improve selection? I mean, that's, those are all sometimes wild cards, unfortunately.
Hey, Kevin, we had, we, we had two questions and, yeah. and then we kind of moved toward wrapping it up. Sure. This went incredibly fast as usual from Andrew. Uh, he's, and this is interesting, uh, is, is the, rec within that month to interview, uh, or, or at least give some type of feedback. Is that the recruiter screen interview, the hiring manager screen, or the final interview? It's going to be, and well, all of the above. And again, we're not, we're not, we don't have that level of granularity when we're asking yeah. those questions because we're not, we do ask the candidates how many interviews did they have. Um, so, it could be any of those because it's again it's it's based on the the experience that the candidates had um so i would say probably the way that the candidates perceive it and the way that we would interpret the data it's at least the first interview with a recruiter because we're literally talking about that as opposed to a phone screen or just kind of some kind of a screening so it would be at least that at a minimum but it could also include the interview with the hiring manager too and, and a second question came in, and again, maybe there's a case study that, or or an organization that that may answer this, and you can we can refer it there. Um, is it from Kurt? Uh, how can you market values on your website? Um, well, you, I would argue, and a lot of companies. In fact, we just did some work with a large um, pharmaceutical organization and made some recommendations on, you wanna let your current employees, including the hiring managers, explain in their own words in video favorably on the career site as to why they work there, why it's so important, and why they feel it like they do, why they enjoy working there. And the values come through in that level of content. Cause you can just, I mean, just posting like, this is our company values, which historically has always, it's been the case and nobody cares about that. Right. I, but what has happened? What else are you doing? Values also can come through. Are you involved in your community or the communities that you hire in? Um, are you working hard to get neurodiverse people um, jobs and, and getting that information out there? the values come through in that level of content as opposed to just listing a list of values on a website. So it's going to be more interactive coming more from the words of your employees. Um, it's, you know, it's still marketing content to a certain degree, but you want it to be as valid and authentic as possible. And it's got to come through that way. What are you doing for the world, for your community as an organization that can be very helpful because community, so community sustainability initiatives are also important to our, to the candidates in our data as well. Perfect, Kevin. And, and we, we are a future work podcast, as you know, and so I've got to ask you this question too, before we start moving toward wrapping up the show. Sure. And I wanted, I want to dig in on the technology a little bit more because you got some incredible uh, data on the use of technology um, as well mm -hmm. as part of the candidate experience. And earlier you mentioned that 68% of the organizations that are getting the really positive ratings for candidate experience, that they're using the, they're using AI technology. They tell us somewhere. they are, yes. Mm -hmm. They tell you they are. Yep. So I'm, I'm curious, where are you seeing the most bang for the buck in terms of the function of AI? When organizations are looking at trying to invest in AI to bring in to improve candidate experience, what is that AI doing? So I will come at it from, for me, it's all about improving can, uh, candidate, recruiter, and hiring manager communication. So mostly candidate communication, but 
conversational AI, which is which is more mature machine learning algorithms that learn on a on a faster scale with a volume of data to where it improves how the responses I get by the questions that I'm putting in as a human. And be not and answering questions about the company, the jobs, um, uh, in, in, a, in a in a more human like way, right? Kind of like what we're finding with Chat GPT now too. And I mean, it's come a long way, but it's the conversational aspect. So whether I'm asking questions on the career side about the, the companies, or I'm being texted links so like, hey, here's a job for you to apply to. I apply. Here's the next steps, and that and that conversational AI chatbot is taking me through the process and the steps, scheduling the interview, which is always a headache for recruiters and hiring managers and candidates, and helping shepherd through that. But it's it's that's where for you know so long we just no no human can scale. If you have you know thousands of applications a month, for example, um, you can't even those that are qualified. You can't communicate with all those. You know, and unfortunately, some a lot of recruiting teams have gotten thinner again. So that's it's it's the, the technology really helps to ensure that there is engagement and communication and nurturing that's happening throughout the process. And that could also include before they start on day one, although companies, that's where I would argue you'd want more human teams to be like the pre-boarding nurturers. But it's just help, it's the communication aspect of 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 that makes a big difference. Even if I know it's not a human and I want to talk to a human, we all do. It's the candidate communication and engagement. That's that to me is the has been the biggest benefit. And and at the the better that it gets, um, it's just very helpful because you can. It's at the point of whatever action is taken for a candidate. I apply. I maybe I pass an assessment. What happens next? Um, and all these things because employers control the dials of all these they, of their tech stack. The systems that they use and the, and those that they um, they control the dials and it is still surprising, unfortunately, of how many companies um, have not updated the communications that came out of the box for like autoresponders for thanks for, you know if you're qualified we'll be in touch and they control all of that stuff. So leveraging the tech in a better way helps with candidate communications. I would argue. You also have a currently. You have the annual, you, you have your annual reports, but you're releasing a new report or a new survey or a poll, I guess, uh, that's going to be coming out monthly. Is that, is that right? Uh, that will give a little bit of a pulse where, yes. where things are and maybe give a reflection and answer that question of, you know, what are the impact of, of um, not directly of what the impact of the layoffs are, but what the experience is, you know, from candidates. So, we're yeah, and this is based on, our, our annual research that we do too. And we do at the end of each year, we do a recruiting focus um, uh, update for what companies are focused on. So now we're going to focus on a candy pulse. So for example, this month, as we're collecting data at the end of January, now the first time doing this, candidate experience, recruitment, marketing, employer branding, targeted sourcing and diversity and inclusion are the top five with what they tell us right now that they're focused on. There's a lot of other stuff too underneath that, but those are mostly almost all 50% or more focused on those things. How are they gonna get them done, for example? Improving their processes, current staffing that they're using, current technologies, new technologies, candidate and employee survey feedback. That's an example. But then we ask them, 
more about what's going on with their hiring too. So like, is your company, what is your company's hiring status this month? And so far out of nearly a hundred responses um, that we've received, um, 82% said there's, they're hiring and it's a much smaller percentage. 13% said they've frozen hiring and that's, that's good, right? Because there's a lot of mixed messages out there in, in space and only 5% said, in this group at least, said they're laying off. Um, so we have to be careful about getting caught up in a lot of, I mean, yes, there have been tons of tech layoffs, um, but you know, I think layoffs overall, even though they're growing, are still historically at a, at a historic low. But this is what they're telling us this. And the last thing I'll just mention is um, when we asked the size of your recruiting team and 65% said there's no change. Only 13% said they're decreasing their recruiting team this month right now. And the last thing I'll mention as we're still collecting the data, when we asked them how would they rate their overall recruiting process and candidate journey on a four point scale, this is similar to, as part of our data that we capture in the annual benchmark data. Are you leading or lagging? Which is the two extremes. And right now, um, only 11% said that they're leading overall when it comes to being competitive around the candidate journey. On 5% said they're lagging. There's a whole bunch of people in the middle, either they're improving 42% or they're competing, which, which is um, the, th uh, the three out of four rating, and that's at 42%. So the, av the average rating on a four star right now is um, 2.6, and we'll see how that tracks over time. It's actually lower than what last year's annual benchmark was, but that's why we wanted to track this stuff month after month now. How can people get it? Uh when that's available. They'll be able to get it off our, our, our website. We'll, we'll, we'll probably do a brief summary for folks to consume, but then we'll give even more details to those that are, that what we call our candy community. So companies that are participating in our research will get more, more oomph out of it from us. It's kind of a benefit of participating so, in our benchmark. So. So if they go to the website and is, is, they can sign up for the for I believe you're up. They can sign up for our updates. newsletter and then they'll get notified of everything. But we'll 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 promote it. It will be one of the resources that we offer um, uh, under employer resources on our site. Or yeah, okay. yeah. Or it might go under the research tab, but they'll be able to find it on our site for sure. I'm sure, they'll be hearing a lot about it on Geek Skis yeah, and Organization. Exactly. So it's something that we wanted to do on a monthly basis now, just to kind of see where, where how things change. Oh, I didn't want to steal the last question that you normally ask, Ira, before we hit the lightning round. I'll, I'll let you borrow it. Okay, <laughs> I'll go ahead and borrow it this time. So, so Kevin, we usually like to try and wrap things up before we hit the lightning round with one final question, and that is, what's something we should have asked you today that we didn't? I didn't know there was going to be a test at the end. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think, you know, for companies that are interested in, in improving their recruiting and hiring process and their candidate experience, how can Talent Board help them? And the, the answer to that question is go to the talentboard.org and read more about how to participate and, and participate this year. It's anonymous and confidential for companies, um, and it's a pretty low bar and low investment to participate. So love it. That was perfect. And that's a perfect segue into the lightning round. We're going to ask you just a few questions to get to know you a little bit better <laughs> on a personal level. So there is a test. The listeners. There is a there test. Is a test. There is a test, but this, there's no right or wrong answers. Come this on. is just the life of Kevin. We're not going to get too personal, Kevin, but we got to ask <laughs> oh, a few I, here. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly an open book. It's all good. I know. And we learned quite a bit from you when we had steak together here in Indianapolis a few months back. Right. And so some of these questions might actually relate to that a little bit. So let's start with this one. 
How about a favorite song or musical artist or band of yours? Oh, Rush, the rock band Rush. They don't. They're not. They don't. They don't perform anymore. I mean, the, the drummer and writer passed away, unfortunately, in early 2020. Um, but that is uh, all, will always be my favorite band. Yes. Perfect. And I I thought that was going to be the answer. I was thinking that was your favorite band from yeah. when we chatted. And this rolls right into question number two, I think, in terms of the answer you're going to give. Yeah. And that is, what's a special hidden talent or skill that you have that most people wouldn't know about you? Well, if they haven't seen me, the post that I do when I share it sometimes online is, is now being a drummer. Not in a band or anything, but I, I've always aspired to drum. And I started learning for reals um, when when the first COVID first happened in the lockdown. And my wife had given me an electronic kit years ago, and I finally dusted it off. And now I'm getting ready to, to take even more formal lessons to elevate my playing. So I'm um, I'm digging it, but drumming for sure. I love it. And of course, Rush is known for having some of the the best, most challenging drumming sequences. Do you ever do Rush? Don't. I, there's actually a, f a few songs that I've tried and, and, I, and I'm and i getting better at it, but some of the more complicated stuff than any any drummer like Neil Peart um, and Taylor Hawkins, who used to be, was the drummer before he passed away for Foo Fighters. I mean, the list, I got a lot of work to do, That's, but I'm, I'm on my way though, so. I love it. And a testament to growth mindset. In yeah, terms that's of another reason and, and doing to keep the stuff. old ticker going, right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And last one here, and this may relate to what you've already shared too. If there's one person in the history of the world that you'd love to just spend the day with, anybody come to mind? Oh, well, I know it's, <laughs> there's, a, there are a lot of people, but um, Neil Peart, who, is, who was the drummer and writer from, from Rush. Yeah. Yes, that's what I figured. You guys have a jam session. Well, I mean, there's a, and there's a lot of historical figures, and there's, there are many others, but that's the first one. If I ever had a chance to to, to talk to him, would be amazing. So, yeah, awesome, love it. Yeah. Well done, Kevin. See, you passed the test. Perfect flying <laughs> colors, and they all were related together. So, I'm going to kick sure. it back over to Ira as we wrap up. Okay. So, so I got the question for you, for Kevin. So, go to G Chat GPT and say, what would Neil Peart uh, tell me? <laughs> I know, right? I should I should do that. I have been I have been playing with it with with the with the with it more and more. I should ask that question actually. Yeah. I actually asked it, by the way, just as a, a, a really quick aside before before we go, if I can find it. Um, and uh, oh maybe I can't find it. I did ask it to write me a rock and roll song and it was pretty funny and cheesy, but it did. <laughs> it did do it. That's all I said. Write me a rock and roll song, and it had a lot of rocking and growling, and <laughs> it was pretty funny, actually. So, yeah. Well, as as always, Kevin, you're it, it. It you know we can spend hours and hours and hours doing this. So I appreciate you being back. Uh, really, really looking. I'm looking forward to, for the new poll that's going to come out that you're going to release, uh, and certainly having you on GGG Unleashed, uh, your new series uh, candidate experience confidential so everybody be look out for that uh for i i've been scrolling the bar but people on the podcast won't be able to to read that so what's the best way that they can reach you uh and the talent board well they can either go to the the, the talent or 
go to just find me on LinkedIn, Kevin W. Grossman, and connect with me there. Again, thanks again for taking the time out. I'm sure we'll be talking to you quite a bit this year. Yeah. Uh, and we'll keep tabs on it. And uh, have, have a great day and have a great conference in San Diego coming up. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Ira, just to reinforce, I mean, anyone who ever has questions about candidate experience, they've got to go to the talent board. Uh, that should be your first stop to get any, yeah. and it's not just insights. I mean, it's empirically validated research that they're doing with organizations that also has the insights and tips. I'll tell you just real quick for me, one of the big takeaways um, was that we've got to still do a better job with consistent and timely feedback and that the organizations that are starting to to do better at this and get the positive ratings, they're starting to use AI. They're getting on board with it and realizing that, yes, there are some things that AI can can do really well um, whenever you have a, a good team in place that, that's monitoring those things, but, but that can help with efficiency. What were some of the big takeaways for you today? I'll go back to the talent board. It's probably the gallop of candidate experience. And for those who watch MSNBC, you know, Kevin's sort of the Stephen Karnacki of, uh, of candidate experience. Uh, Again, I I think it's just the trend. I mean, you know, Kevin summed it up in the beginning, you know, what's changed, what's new, nothing, you know, we're we're still, we're, we're working on it. It's like, it's, it's a slowest, it's like sludge trying to improve it. But fortunately, uh, when people are looking for answers, how to recruit, how to retain, how to create a better brand, how to experience, they spend a lot of money on HR tech, a lot of tech, uh, uh, tons of money on marketing. Uh, you have these ups and downs and there's really just some really simple things that companies can do, like respond to the candidate, <laughs> take out the inefficiencies, speed it up. And uh, you know now with uh, AI is use it properly, not use it, uh, yeah, and a, well, technology has just been used ineffectively and improperly for the past. But when used properly, um, these companies have proven that they can do well and and still have a good candidate experience. Absolutely, and do a better job with your storytelling. Don't just plaster your values on your website. There's so many more creative ways of collecting stories internally. Your people, in terms of how working there's changed their life in a positive way, that people are searching for, and mm-hmm. that's what they want to see to decide whether or not they apply. But uh, we want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, Thank you to Kevin Grossman and the Talent Board for providing all the research and the insights today on improving the candidate experience. If you haven't liked and subscribed to the podcast, please do so on your favorite platform. And we also have a community, Googleization Nation. It's totally free to sign up and become a member. Just go to geekskeezersgoogleization.com and you'll be able to sign up there. But until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. Special thanks to uh, Kevin again. Uh, Special thanks to everybody who joined in. Thank you uh, for those who submitted some questions and we were able to get to them. If you have additional questions while you're listening, please uh, post them, message us, contact, reach out to Kevin. I know he'd uh, be happy to, to answer those. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.